your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the May 3rd, 2022 edition of Ask a Leader. It's World Press Freedom Day, am I right, Trevor Noah? It's also five weeks away from the June 7th California primary. Two primaries are happening in Indiana and Ohio. Friends, family in those states will help them turn out. On a different note, the play COVID in custody was postponed due to COVID. We'll make sure patrons get the update information. It's going to reschedule a couple weeks from now. It's on our station carousel. Now about today's program, we'll start with Errol Weber, filmmaker and Republican. That's America First candidate challenging Congresswoman Katie Porter in the new 47th district. This district now includes Seal Beach, Huntington Beach, Costa Mesa, Irvine, Newport Beach, and Laguna Beach. In the second segment, water policy analyst activist Connor Everts will take us through the next public agency review of the Poseidon desalination plant proposed in Huntington Beach. The California Coastal Commission is scheduled to hear this application in Costa Mesa May 12th. That's a week from this Thursday if you're listening live. We'll bring more information during that guest segment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Republican candidate and a documentary filmmaker, Errol Weber. He completed his Bachelor's of Fine Arts at the Maryland Institute College of Art. And I want to just briefly, because this is a very short introduction, we've got a lot to talk about here. Among his production credits are his documentary film in Africa, Music by Prudence, about a band of gifted Zimbabwean musicians with disabilities. Music by Prudence won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Short Subject in 2010. And Walking While Black, L-O-V is the answer. His documentary film work explores topics such as health care, education, human rights, and politics. In 2020, he unsuccessfully challenged Karen Bass in the 37th Congressional District in Los Angeles. We'll talk with him about his arc in political causes leading to his policy position today. And he comes to us, I believe it's from Costa Mesa today, Mr. Weber. Hello, how are you doing? Are you coming to us today from Costa Mesa? I actually have an event up in Los Angeles, so I'm actually in the Los Angeles area right now calling him. Oh, all right. I'm not going to be in the studio. Okay, well, and he comes to us today from L.A. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Errol Weber. Thank you so much. Well, first, I'd like for you to fill <laughs> us in on your your public service transition toward becoming a candidate for U.S. Congress in 2020 in L.A. and now here in the Orange County, you, you chose the 47th District. Tell us why, and as, as a way of explaining also your arc of, of going into public service from the creative film work you've been doing. Well, when you spend your entire adult life making documentaries about healthcare, education, human rights, and policy and all that, um, what do you do with all of that knowledge? Do you sit on that knowledge, or do you turn it into policy that can better the lives of people? I found that Ever since 2015, I've just been, like, trying to sort out answers to questions from a policy standpoint. And one of the first things I developed was a solution to solving the traffic problem in L.A. Because I was spending a lot of time sitting in L.A. traffic. And I thought, man, there has to be a way to solve this without spending billions of dollars on additional infrastructure. And I came up with my own solution for it. Oh, that solution needs an outlet. Then you have things on the federal level uh, when it comes to national security and what needs to be done to address the homeless problem. You see, a failure to adequately address key federal issues has a negative rippling effect on state-level issues when it comes to quality of life. So we can complain about homelessness and the tangential issues of mental health and drug abuse, but if we don't recognize that a failure to have strong national security results in us having a worsening homeless problem, particularly here in California. When, oh, I'll give you an example. Uh, when you have people who have access to drugs and are self-destructing, 
It is not helpful for us to have a weak southern border that allows additional drugs and opiates to be able to come across the border to become accessible to these homeless people who are already self-destructing. Currently in California, we spend about $100,000 per homeless person per year when they're on the street. So by exacerbating this problem and not nipping it in the bud on the federal level, we're only making matters worse. So that is why I believe that we need to pay close attention to the role of the federal government and how we can be more efficient and more effective on the federal level so that it's easier and less of a tax burden for us to address more local level issues. Um, Now, when I got into documentary, I love telling stories. I love being behind the camera. I love getting to the bottom of things. I love being a journalist. It's fantastic. And there, there has to be that next step. It isn't enough to just be an advocate. It isn't enough to just be a filmmaker. If you're going to spend your life diving into issues, well, the, the natural next step is to run for public office. Now, I could run for public office on the local level, on the state level, or on the federal level. The issues that I find that are most pressing are the federal level issues. So while I do have local and state level policies that I'd love to push, I find that the most pressing thing for us to do right now is to address the federal issues. And that is why I chose to run for Congress last election cycle. And that's uh, the reason why I chose to run for Congress this election cycle. Um, There are a couple of things that are of incredible importance this election cycle. Uh, The first thing that we need to address is making sure that we enforce election integrity. And why do I say enforce election integrity? You see, if you have all the greatest solutions in the world, if you have elections that are not honest, then you're not adequately, you're not properly representing the views and the needs of the people of America. So we need to make sure, first and foremost, that we have honest elections, cleaning up voter rolls, ensuring that we have voter ID, things of that nature. Then we also need to make sure we are enforcing national security, securing our southern border, making sure that we address visa overstays, making sure that we are properly processing people for deportation, and holding state and local officials accountable for hindering the efforts of DHS and ICE and uh, the TSA or the or, or uh, ATF or any of the federal departments that are working to keep our southern border and keep our people safe. Um, I also believe that we are being heavily taxed, and unnecessarily so, if we have billions, tens of billions of dollars that we can send to other countries, then we know we are being overtaxed here in the U.S. We need to cut a lot of waste, fraud, and abuse. Uh, We need to make sure that there's a total revamp of the government accountability office when it comes to uh, how the government spends its money and how this money is disbursed. Of course, once funds are appropriated, we want them to be spent properly. And we need to make sure that we are doing that. But also, we need to get away from this system of gigantic trillion-dollar omnibus bills that they have like one or two things that are beneficial for the people of our district, but then everything else is just pork. So I want I want to, Mr. Yeah. Weber, I, I, I hear all your stump uh, talking points, and I want to... I want to sort of hone in on some nuance because you're in the 47th. I don't know how well you know the 47th district. This includes the University of California, Irvine campus. And we have an intellectual brain trust here that is deals. We live in nuance in this culture. I don't know how well you know the 47th. And I, I did notice in your tweet last night that you implicated those that were administering the elections in Orange County. We uh, are very familiar with the gold standard that is the Orange County Registrar of Voters, Neil Kelly, who's managed our elections for the last 17 plus years. He is mm-hmm. a, he is conferred with by the Department of Homeland Securities over there. As I will repeat, he is the gold standard. I'm not sure 
where you can corroborate your claim that here in California, specifically Orange County, I'm quoting directly, there are people who died on the voter rolls who died in the 1940s. There are multiple people on the voter rolls who are 212 years old. I don't know if you can corroborate that because Neil Standard is the one. He just retired in March, but we have relied on him to be everywhere and to have to know the custody of every single paper ballot that can't, the paper ballot that cannot be tampered with. So what is your corroboration of your claim that you tweeted out last night? So I have been in talks with a couple grassroots organizations that are particularly based in the Southern California area. I'll mention one of them. One of them is called uh, Patriot Force. And Patriot Force has spent the past few months uh, diving into voter records and their other proprietary ways of, uh, uh, of gleaning this information. And one of the things that they found when they started uh, doing their spreadsheets of data is that they started noticing uh, nuances that just could not make sense, such as why was it that there were people who were registered to vote and their birth date, there's a massive spike of people who were born on January 1st of a particular year. And it begs the question, is there a massive spike of people who are born on January 1st of a particular year? Why are there people who are on the voter rolls who are 212 years old? Can someone realistically live to 212? I'd love to meet them. I'd love to put them on the smuckers jar during the NBC Today show. That's fantastic well, that I, they get the 212 years old. I, I'm not sure um, if it's symmetrical to put up a claim that Patriot Force has their, their accountability versus the accountability of a board of supervisor appointed registrar voters with more years of experience than Patriot Force has been in existence. So I, 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 and I want to know if you're perpetuating this the claim of a fraudulent election, if you're perpetuating that, is that taking bandwidth away from you addressing the ills that constituents need addressed at this point in May of 2022? Can you can you walk? uh, Can you does that not take away bandwidth for addressing problems that affect households in Orange County? One of the most immediate things that needs to be done with every election is mobilizing people to get involved on the local level to make sure that they are the eyes and ears on the ground level when it comes to our elections. It isn't enough to just vote. So when someone makes the time to make a post about uh, the importance of getting involved on the local level, it's for them to recognize that, hey, you are doing your civic duty by voting but I believe that that is not enough. We need people who are willing to work the polls. We need people who are willing to get hired by the registrar of voters and be able to work in the registrar of voters and be bold enough to call out inconsistencies. Well, and they do. They I have had Neil Kelly on every back. primary and every general election since I've done this show in 2010. And mm-hmm. Neil Kelly has made it very public that he not only I mean, we, he's, they've just recently tweeted that they're going to be hiring a lot of staff to handle all of the polling uh, centers and places and all that, as well as Neil Kelly has always endorsed having ballot or uh, polling place observers. He invites them. Sometimes administrators in his type of position are sort of uh, discouraging of that, but he embraces that. So there's lots of eyeballs. And I, if people want to follow up, uh, they could go to the Patriot Force website. And if the the optics are any indication, they can see that, that the symmetry of the Patriot Force versus the comportment and the built agency of the Orange County Registrar, the asymmetry is quite striking. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest is documentary film producer Errol Weber, a Republican candidate for the 47th Congressional District, America First endorsed candidate challenging incumbent on what is currently the 45th District, but it's going to be the 47th uh, for the uh, the primary. The other challengers are all Republicans, including Scott Baugh, Brian Burley, Amy Fon West. 
So, as I've said, the, the new 47th includes Seal Beach, Huntington Beach, Costa Mesa, Irvine, Newport Beach, and Lagoon Beach. But tell me, tell my listeners, what what drew you to come to the 47th and run? This is the part I, I really want to make very clear for constituents. Okay. One of the things I found in the, uh, in the 2020 election was that there were many conservative uh, advocacy events that happened in the coastal Orange County area, particularly Newport Beach and Huntington Beach during 2020. And I found that there was a stark difference between the reception I got in Orange County versus the reception I typically had in Los Angeles. You see, when I ran last election cycle in 2020, I was in California's 37th congressional district, which is right in the middle of L.A., 25% black, 25% white, 39% Latino, 9% Asian, median income of 46000 a year, and has three historically red-lined districts, uh, Crenshaw, South L.A., and Inglewood. Now, in that district, uh, when I went, for example, going around uh, putting up lawn putting up lawn signs, putting up signage uh, right before the election, I was actually chased out of the district by the very people who lived in the district. Imagine being, and like I don't campaign on identity politics, but being, imagine being a black guy, conservative, presenting conservative ideas and solutions to things that have been... Uh, pretty much Democrat-run for three decades. Like, that district had been Democrat-run since at least 1994. And I'm thinking to myself, if nothing has changed for 30 years, for almost three decades, nothing changed, and you continue to vote Democrat almost by default, and then somebody conservative comes along and presents a conservative solution, and your response is to chase them out at threat of violence, are, we, are you really wanting to better your life in this district, or do you want to continue to go down the same path that keeps you where you are, uh, subservient to the government, uh, perpetuating uh, a system of dependence, a 35% college graduation rate and a 77% high school graduation rate? Is that something to be proud of? Is it something to be proud of to uh, have the black dollar remain in the black community for six hours while the Asian dollar remains in the Asian community for 17 days and the Jewish dollar remains in the Jewish community for 19 days. You don't see a problem with that. You don't see that there's a, a disinvestment in the community. And then President Trump and Tim Scott comes along with, uh, with the new 2017 tax plan and opportunity zones and you shun it and you shun people who try to promote it. And we don't see that, hey, we need to invest in this community, but instead, your response is to chase me out of the district. But then I, then I get the a almost polar opposite reaction when I go to Huntington Beach, and I'm welcomed with open arms. I'm like, wow, this is a real family here in Huntington Beach. And then I host events in Newport Beach. I believe it was for Labor Day weekend and some other events, and I'm welcomed with open arms. I have hundreds of people come out to my rallies and events. I'm like, this is fantastic. I love, I love it down here. It's a family down here, a group of conservatives who love America. And I'm like, yes, this is it. Well, uh, this district... The lease that I had on my apartment in L.A. Uh, expired at the end of July of last year. So I thought, do I renew a lease for another place in L.A.? that is currently going through lockdowns, or do I go down to Orange County where I'm welcomed as family and I find somewhere to stay down in Orange County? So are, August, are, you planning to be, are you planning to visit venues in Irvine so we know uh, we can have an opportunity to, and you can uh, bring your case to the demographics that, that follow here in Irvine and Laguna Beach? Yes. And when, when will yes, those events I'm be? I'm going to be in Seal Beach. No, no, Irvine. I'm very interested in Irvine. There is a, it's a culture that does not necessarily identify with the culture that you were received by the, by your own description earlier in Huntington Beach and Newport Beach. Will you be coming to Irvine? Yes, I will be coming to Irvine. And do you, do you have any Irvine dates? Irvine is an important and very large section of the district and 
crazily enough, I want to share with you a fun little detail. When I went, can, uh, when I went canvassing to go get uh, nomination signatures to get my name on the ballot, I actually went and collected signatures from Democrats. I didn't go and collect signatures from Republicans specifically. And the reason I did that is I wanted to see how much pull I had with Democrats. So thank you to Democrats for helping me get on in the Irvine? back in March. Democrats in Irvine? Because I'm, I'm, I am speaking directly. This is KUCI located on the UC Irvine campus in the city of Irvine, which has a decidedly different sort of political culture than you're talking about. So those Democrats that signed your papers, uh, were they in Irvine? Uh, Irvine and Costa Mesa. And Costa Mesa. So so I, I wouldn't be doing my listeners any favors if I didn't keep this super topical. And I would like to uh, just I want to get into some sort of policy positions that the public. you were talking about safety and all that and that going along with that is public health and and safety and health. Given the mm-hmm. story that was leaked out of the Supreme Court that a majority will reverse Roe versus Wade, what is your disposition, Errol Weber, toward the Women's Health Protection Act, which would be a way of keep maintaining the health of women with various reproductive options? Uh, so the decision uh, in regards to Roe versus Wade, which was leaked, uh, as far as I know, I haven't read the decision yet. I haven't read what they said. But in general, um, what Roe versus Wade did and the, the, the court case. No, actually, I was asking it, you about it, it, the. Do you support the Women's Health Protection Act that was passed out of the House? It is now in the Senate, and it, it, uh, there are concerns about whether there would be a, um, a, a means for a, a simple majority to approve that. What is your position on Women's Health Protection Act specifically? All right. So, um, I would have to read the actual body of that act first, and I'll tell you why. First, one, you want people to be able to vote on things that they have educated themselves on. That's one. And then two, uh, Democrats have uh, a history of creating deceptively worded uh, legislation and uh, propositions that they sound good on the surface, but then there are many hidden things that are nefarious. And I'll give you a couple examples if you give me four seconds to talk about this. Um, there's a Safe Schools and Communities Act, uh, or, or proposition, in California. I think it's Prop 47. It's called Safe Schools and Communities. Who wouldn't vote for that? Safe Schools and Communities. But what it ultimately did is that it uh, changed what was once a felonies into uh, misdemeanors if it was a dollar value of $950 or less of a crime. Well, hold on. Is that making any, is that making us safer when coupled with Prop 57 or AB 109? No, it's not making us safer. But you have all of these people who got into their feelings over uh, a title. Safe schools and communities. Here's another fun one. The infrastructure bill uh, from last October. Oh my gosh. How could you vote against the infrastructure bill? We need infrastructure. Yeah, uh uh-huh. That same infrastructure bill that had money set aside in it to fund Planned Parenthood, that same one. Oh, so so all of this uh, infrastructure bill, only 9% of this infrastructure bill was actual infrastructure. The rest of it was pork. And you want me to vote for an infrastructure bill because we need infrastructure. Okay. Well, what is up with all of this extra stuff that's in this omnibus bills, trillions of dollar omnibus bills? Or here's another fun one. Back in 2020, you had all of these uh, stimulus bills that came out. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we, we have weaponized a virus uh, to wield power over the people. Let us create a stimulus bill to make Americans dependent on the government even more. We'll call it the stimulus bill. People will love it. And if you vote against it, then you don't want to give people money. Oh, my gosh. Okay, what was in that stimulus bill? Well, there was money set aside for counting how many amberjack fish are in the Gulf of Mexico and teaching sex ed in African countries. What does that have to do with stimulus? So when you say, oh, we need to, uh, what, what is my thought on 
what is the name of this bill, this Women's Health Bill? Women's Health Protection Act. Okay. I need to see what's in the Women's Health Protection Act before I go tugging on my heartstrings and say, oh my gosh, yeah. Because you have a history, and not you specifically, but Democrats who work on creating policy have a history and a reputation of creating flowery-sounding legislation that is packed with nefarious things. So I'd love to hear a Democrat or a liberal comment on that and explain why they always hide nefarious things in flowery-worded legislation. Well, the community that you referred to uh, in a sense earlier in your answers were benefiting from the child tax credit that will end. I'm trying to think it'll end it by the summer. I'm, I'm not on that detail right now, but that, that it was a matter of people, people from avoiding uh, losing their homes or being kicked out, uh, protect, just giving them a little bit of money that they could actually get through. I don't hear you mentioning the pandemic, that, in, that that is the context of some of this legislation to give some people a little financial buffer, a safety net from them falling all the way through the net. But uh, do you not acknowledge that the pandemic is the context of all of this, the stimulus spending to give people that buffer. So they they were already under an underfunded household, the community you're talking about, how uh, that how that stimulus reached out to them and it proved to be quite beneficial. It was useful for the purposes that were intended. So there is, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. But I want to mention something about individual liberty that is so flippantly overlooked by many on the left. And I want to point this out. Back in February of 2020, when COVID started, well, when talk of COVID started popping on the scene, and in March 16th or 17th of 2020, when Los Angeles County and then, uh, and then California went through a two weeks to flatten the curve lockdown. I believe that that was erroneously done and that there were other ways to address, uh, to address the COVID situation without shutting down the state or on a more macro level, shutting down the country. I believe that if we have an ailment that was making the rounds, I believe it's important for families to be able to protect themselves and for business owners to be able to protect their employees. I believe that the federal government and or state government could put out a set of guidelines that businesses could, on their own volition, adopt to the level that is necessary for their business to be able to keep their employees and customers safe while keeping business running efficiently. There was little to no need to shut down the state and on a more macro level, shut down the country and destroy people's livelihoods, destroy people's businesses and make more Americans subservient to the government. And then they would not have needed that stimulus check to begin with. We could have kept businesses open. People could have uh, been kept working and business owners on their own volition could choose what health uh, needs are best for their employees and for the operation of their business. So for example, if you own a winery and your business spans 600 acres, there are certain COVID Well, I'm sorry, I just want to I want to save us some time. The, a comedy club. The wine so the winery course, doesn't quite a, fit the Mr. Weber, the winery doesn't quite fit the the economic development sort of profile of Orange County. So I, I want us to stay in the 47th and talk about how the impacts of a oh, well, pandemic that we're spreading. Then. Not a problem. Well, there are many boat cruise companies in Newport Beach, many of them that, are, uh, that I've used their services. There are restaurants on the uh, peninsula that I've patronized myself. There are restaurants in Huntington Beach, uh, that I've patronized myself. There are beach services on the boardwalk in Huntington Beach that I've patronized myself. There are businesses in Laguna Beach, restaurants in Laguna Beach, events I've attended in Laguna Beach. Uh, many events I've been to in Irvine and just outside the district in Tustin and uh, across the way in Costa Mesa. 
businesses that are golf clubs, businesses that did not need the same COVID protocols as other businesses, business, businesses that are run by competent people who can make decisions for themselves, businesses that were not given the opportunity to use their own agency to keep their, uh, to keep their employees and their customers safe. And instead, we enabled and, and emboldened a nanny state a nanny state where big government tells your business what to do and how to do it and tells you, you know what, your business is not important. You need to shut down. And you see, when you shut down a business and say that business has a thousand employees, well, that's a thousand people who are out of work. And if that person who's working at that business is the breadwinner in their family, that's many hundreds of people who are edging that much closer to the poverty line because you thought it was a good idea to shut down the whole state. Well, I, I appreciate some businesses I, I are appreciate important and some important. I appreciate and we all recognize the talking points where they uh, the through line of where they were over this last two years of the pandemic. So I leave those data points for listeners to to inc- consider for their primary ballot. I must close with this last question. We had, I had other, other questions dealing with where you would be interested in assignments, um, which committees, but we won't get a chance to do that. But I want to close with this last question with just, uh, just a minute or two, what your position is on the Poseidon desalination plant proposed in Huntington Beach inside the 47th. I'll be talking to a, a guest in the next segment about that. What's your disposition on the Poseidon project? So I believe desalination is a very good idea. It's not the most energy-efficient way of producing clean, uh, clean water. Um, we do have <laughs> other ways of getting water. Uh, I do believe that we could uh, kill two birds with one stone if we explored offshore nuclear where we are able to generate uh, lots of clean, energy-dense, uh, sources of power just offshore, and then using the residual heat from that offshore nuclear power plant to run desalination processes at the same time. Uh, I believe that that is something that can be explored and should be explored. And I'm a huge proponent of nuclear. I'm a huge proponent of desalination. I don't believe it's the most efficient way to, uh, to come by clean water. But it is one of the ways that we can do it. And we have a giant body of water that runs along Seal Beach and Huntington and Newport and Laguna. Why not? Okay. Um, well, we have run out of time. Desalination plant. We've run out Biden of desalination plant. What are your, what's your take Thank on you. Well, Biden we're going to cover it. You can stay tuned. I, we've run out of time. I've been talking with documentary film producer Errol Weber, Republican candidate for the 47th Congressional District, America First endorsed candidate challenging Congresswoman Katie Porter. The other challengers include Republicans Scott Baugh, Brian Burley, Amy Fawn West. The new 47th includes Seal Beach, Huntington Beach, Costa Mesa, Irvine, Newport Beach, and Laguna Beach. Thank you for your time on Ask a Leader, Errol Weber. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. We'll be right back with Con Everts to talk about this very desalination plant. So stay tuned. We'll be right back, folks. Don't go away. That brings us to the second segment. Thank you for staying tuned, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Uh, this desalination water treatment plant facility known as a Poseidon is proposed in Huntington Beach. will be considered next week, May 12th, by the California Coastal Commission. And taking this up once again is my next guest, Connor Everts, Executive Director of the Southern California Watershed Alliance and Facilitator of the Environmental Water Caucus. And as facilitator for the caucus, Connor's chaired the desal response group as well as public officials for water environmental reform, power for short. Connor's served at the Casitas Municipal Water District and the Ojai Basin Management Groundwater Agency. 
He convened the California Urban Water Conservation Council as well as the state task forces on total maximum daily loads, desalination, and state water resources control board stakeholder process, and most recently serves on the Department of Public Health Direct Potable Reuse Advisory Group. Connor comes to us today with a lot to lay out in such a short time. From Santa Monica, welcome back to Ask a Leader, Connor Everts. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you. So, well, so much to cover. I'm hewing to what's breaking now. And uh, we've got a piece that came out in The Voice of OC this morning by Brandon Foe, as well as Michael Hiltzik posted a piece last night, or yesterday in the LA Times. It's, I think it's available in print. I haven't had a chance to look at it, folks. So let's start with the California Coastal Commission staff recommendation and the steps toward public policy approvals that the Poseidon is at. We'll place it right where we are now, May 3rd, 2022. Okay, so with eight days to go until the uh, wind up on the, uh, this momentous hearing. That's why I played drums first. <laughs> There's, um, I guess we can do a lightning round here. It will the, be. Um, 204 pages from the Coastal Commission from a longtime analyst who worked on this issue for 20 years, uh, like I have, also made a uh, recommendation of denial based on various portions of the Coastal Act, including everything but the one thing we really wanted to hear about, which they're not allowed to talk about, is the lack of need for it. That was overlooked at the regional board. The Coast Commission really talked about the inability to mitigate for the problem. The fact that um, even though the plant started in 2015 in Carlsbad, they haven't mitigated for that one yet. It talked about the uh, kind of conflicts of problems around the Ascon essentially dumping site, the Superfund site that would be disrupted, uh, causing a lot of consternation with people living in the southeast. Um, the plant had to uh, both build and move its pipelines through there. It talked about the potential for an earthquake with a fault running, the Newport Fault running right nearby. Talked about sea level rise, tsunami rise. There was a long, long comprehensive list in the 204 pages, and the conclusion was to deny the permit. There. That is where they are. And that, the Coastal Commission review. Is it, it, there is still one more oversight piece besides this. It's not the absolute last step, correct? It's a fun. No, it isn't. It, it's getting the most focus, but they actually have to go back to the Orange County Water District, who has only issued a, uh, a temporary term sheet. They haven't finalized it. And so they don't have a buyer for the water yet, which is another issue. Yes. Uh, they also have to go back to the State Lands Commission, and there's a question whether or not they have to do a new EIR based on changes that have happened because this project and its approval for the EIR happened in 2010. It actually came to the Coastal Commission in Newport Beach. I can't forget that day because there was an accident both on the 405 and PCH. So it took about three hours to get down there from Santa Monica. Impossible parking because both sides had large contingents. And at that point, Poseidon actually pulled their uh, application, which they have the right to do, and said, we'll be back shortly. Now we're nine years later, and we're going through the process again. They pulled in March as well, we assume, because they didn't think they had the votes or they wanted more time. But in that time, a lot of other issues have come out as well, and we think we're probably about 60-40 chance, given the politics and involvement uh, with the governor and others in promoting this. And it is a thing to behold, folks, how California Coastal Commissioners review an application before them. I'm going to quickly run by Connor Everts is my guest, Executive Director of Southern California Watershed Alliance, and many more water dialogues, which is an amazing <laughs> setting, uh, once a month. And the California Coastal Commission will be convening at the Costa Mesa, the Hilton there, and I'll give the address in the summary if we don't have a chance to bring it up here. But one of the, the issues that's sort of building here now is there is a red tide bloom and offshore it's from Baja up to Santa Barbara. But as, the, as that moves closer and that isn't one more environmental impact, how has the Poseidon have the representatives explained that the, their technology could address that kind of slurry of that type of plankton coming into their, their intake pipes? 
All right, we've got Connor back. It's sometimes cell phones do lovely things. We're in the middle of trying to talk about how the Poseidon application representatives have addressed the slurry of the red tide. Uh, as far as I know, they haven't. This is a real problem with climate change. We're seeing more and earlier um, red tides with warmer temperatures in the ocean. It essentially shuts down the desal plant as it did for two weeks when there was a bad one, and there seem to happen more to the south, although this one's going all the way up to Santa Barbara. creates the beautiful bioluminescence in the surf, but it's actually the overproduction and death of uh, certain plankton that also means you can't eat seafood, uh, mussels, and other off the shore. And I think this also brings up another issue. You know, as simple as the phone not working, um, technology is not the answer here. We have um, simpler appropriate technology things that are more cost-effective and work first. And in this case, I would say desalination is the last thing we want to do. It's not the technology, stupid. Okay. So we've talked, I mean, mitigation has been circling around this project, and it's the where the liabilities rest with the, where they, the project representatives learned off of the Carlsbad project what kind of liabilities, including all the mitigation kind of measures that are would be expensive if they were proficient in addressing these issues, that it's the project application has been moving those financial liabilities over to the public entity. So it's getting to be a lose-lose in there. So so that the mitigation has been looming. That's the, the whole key point I want for people. And then it's confounded by a plume that we're talking about. So why is it, in very short order, why is Governor Newsom so adamant about making sure this project is approved? People need to understand that. Well, I mean, there was the potential conflict of interest with the so-called French Laundry and his buddy Jason Kenney's birthday party, which he fibbed about at least and um, got caught, uh, Jason Kinney's number two client was Poseidon. Well, Jason Kinney was the birthday guy. Client, but I think that helped influence him to start with. And I'd also have to say that, you know, they have an ambitious water portfolio, I think 142 items. But if you pick Desal, it shows you have a total lack of priorities. Uh, David Nahai, who now sits on the L.A. Regional Board and was general manager of LADWP, famously quoted that if you're looking at ocean desalination in California, you failed at water management. Okay. And, so and we... I, I can't say why Doosan would come out and publicly ask the commissioners to do something about it and say we want all the issues in the toolkit instead of the toolbox, but he's, uh, that's his approach, and we're hoping the commissioners look at the facts, and once they're appointed and a third of them are appointed by the governor, they can make up their own minds on it, we hope. Well, at last week, it was the first time I was really boning up on the an additional mitigation hazard with the adjacent property in southwest Huntington Beach, that that is the Ascon Landfill Superfund site, where the remediation is, see, this is all mitigation, everybody, but the, there's this remediation that's already quite problematic. Could you briefly talk about the extent to which Poseidon plans to enter that property adjacent to the facility site, property that's already impacted by an underground toxic plume? Talk about the firm's capacity to plan and actually manage those hazards. Now, we're, we're just way past the brine and the animals have already been sort of introduced to the system, but now we've got a super fun site that there would be Poseidon pipelines laid down through, over that plume. So we've always had the super fun site. The people in Southeast Huntington Beach Southwest. around it have organized and tried to get uh, super fund action like many other super funds that are laid at the feet of the, the poorest communities. Um, nothing's been done, and they're actually concerned that actually disturbing it is going to create more than a more of a problem. You know, Poseidon is a is a middleman. They're a profiteer and a speculator. They don't have the actual capacity to solve these problems. You know, their flim flam sales job on this says they can take care of anything, everything or anything, but they certainly haven't. And when we start talking about mitigation or conditions which aren't in this recommendation thankfully, in the Coastal Commission, it may come up from the commissioners, then we're accepting that we need this plant and we don't need it. 
We, by legislation, we have to reduce demand, which has already dropped, even with population increases. We are looking at a brave new world. There's been talk by the Metropolitan Water District about cutting 35%, but let's be clear, that's not Orange County. Orange County has ample groundwater for its supplies. They just have to manage them correctly. So, you know, despite the drought, there are no restrictions on what people use. And I'd rather spend this time talking about what we can do as alternatives, what individuals have done, because people save water, not agencies. And some agencies, like MODOC, which is the sister agency, sharing the same building with the Orange County Water District, essentially the proponent with Poseidon or partners with Poseidon, does excellent system repairs and detection for the whole county of except for the few agencies that aren't part of them. They deliver the imported water. They also do the conservation. The Orange County Water District, who's in charge of groundwater and does an excellent job replenishing it with wastewater so you get something cleaner coming out of your than what comes out of your tap, which is an excellent program that's been expanded to 130,000 acre feet, again shows that there's no need for the Poseidon. And even though climate change, everyone thinks of hot, dry, and windy, it also means... Uh, times of high storm when we can put water back into the ground and those stormwater and rainwater are real options. As we saw this year, we had a super wet December and a lot of snow and then we had a whiplash when it went dry. So if we want an immediate response to climate change and drought, we need to do cost-effective local programs that give us long-term local jobs, not a short-term fiasco, which in San Diego has ended up with really high water bills. I have a friend, professor, and teacher who ran for her water board because water was becoming so inexpensive that everyone suddenly was interested in her cisterns and her landscape changes, which she got rebates for both, and we can too in the Met District. And that's an example of how far things have gone when people start paying two, three, four hundred dollars for water, and they're using as little as possible because Poseidon's asking for a 50-year take-or-pay deal beyond the 30-year deal that they got. So the agency who signs up, if Orange County Water District follows through with all this promotion they've done for Poseidon, is going to be stuck with that water, whether they need it or not, whether the aquifer is full or not, and whether the agencies themselves, the retail agencies, want it. And Irvine Ranch Water District is a good example of an agency that's looked at it objectively and said, we don't want that water, and we want the ability to say that we don't want it, and these are the reasons which they clearly lay out. They do excellent work with conservation and recycled water on a more holistic view than a lot of other water agencies. They do water budgets, which is a way to deal with times of shorter allocations. So we should look at those progressive agencies and follow what they're doing and follow what they say But really, it's water taxation without representation if people are against it, even though the the push bowls will show high. Without knowing anything else about it, it sounds like an excellent idea. The more you know, the less you like it. So there's much data. We've laid out some in earlier interviews together. So I I guess what I want to make the remainder of this interview together, I'm sorry we didn't have more time, is equipping people with all the logistics they need. You're giving some talking points, but what makes a local constituent really effective, impactful, before the Costa Mesa Hilton venue, I'm going to quickly say it, folks, it's at the 3050 Bristol Street Hilton location in Costa Mesa on May 12th. It's item number 10 on the agenda. Now I'll put up the link for the Coastal Commission meetings agenda for people to see that. This It'll be in my podcast summary. So give a playbook for what listeners that are sufficiently concerned about. I mean, they they already have a lot of projects going on, but this, this one is right. the so, fiscal environmental impacts are should bring everybody to realize they have skin in this game. So what do you want to advise environmental listeners? justice impacts on long-term costs. Yes. UCLA did an excellent report on that. So all of this is listed on two websites. One is the uh, caldesalfacts.org, and the other one is a local group that has worked for years a lot of good professional people called Residents for Responsible DSAL, so R4RD.org. And they also have had a series of speakers upcoming as Bill Powers, an excellent discussion on the amount of energy which would increase the greenhouse gases, 
which can't really be mitigated for, also listed in the report, is speaking Monday night. The previous speaker is talking about marine impacts and other issues uh, will be available. And then there will be one more, Susan Jordan, on the last Monday before the event. All the information about signing up are available on either of those websites, or you go to the Coastal Commission website, and there's just submit comment. You can submit a written comment. You can speak through Zoom, and there will be limited access for people to come in and speak in person. I did in Ventura last month on the last, on the Friday, which is a kind of quieter day. I was the only person. We expect many people this time, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out as the Coastal Commission is just beginning to open up their meetings because of COVID. Yes, that's it'll, it'll be a hybrid. So, Connor, it's, I'm so sorry for interrupting all. So it's a deadline for people to submit a comment. They need to do it the night before. That's on the Coastal Commission website. We- website. The Although webs- if you want to speak, you can go in the morning The same of, morning of, okay. And sign up and give your card to speak, a speaker card in person. The meeting starts at 9. There's some other items first. Yes, um, and that doesn't that's change. It's a long day. We've asked that they actually try to post the order the speaker's going to be, but first politicians get to speak, then organized groups, and there will be quite a few of those, and then the general public. Okay, so, so it'll be a, another long and exciting day, and we hope it is not like in San Diego where fires and drought and politics cause the commissioners to overrule another excellent staff report this time they need to listen to it and look at the experiences we've had so i'd I'd like to say very quickly lastly the city of los angeles the city of long beach city of santa cruz many other places marin county have looked at desalination la and long beach have their own generating plants could offer low price electricity which this really uh, requires to even break even and they've all decided not to do it Well, there you have that. So that was an added touch, Connor, to show how easy a technological glitch in your cell phone dropping could demonstrate that a a shiny object like a desalination plant could like drop service and jack up uh, rate paying. So that was really elegant of you. So thank you for your time. Always appreciate your seasoned long range takes. My guest was Connor Everts, Executive Director of the Southern California Watershed Alliance and facilitator of the Environmental Water Caucus. Thanks so much, Connor. Thank you, Claudia. Well, that's my wrap. Next week's show, my guest will be California Assemblyman Stephen Choi, who is running against Assemblywoman Cotty Petrie-Norris in the state's Assembly's new 73rd district that includes all of Irvine. In the second segment, we'll hear from Orange County District Attorney Candidate Michael Jacobs. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. Oh, and folks, register, confirm your voting status, Plus, verify your news sources. Verify before clicking forward.